If you will take your scriptures and turn with me, the book of Philippians chapter 4. We'll be reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 23. Philippians 4. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Eudia and I employ Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at last, your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and the glory by Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come to your word this morning to learn from you. We have done what is righteous. And just, do not leave us to our oppressors. Ensure our well-being. Protect us from the arrogant. We struggle to see the salvation you promise and to know your righteous promises. We pray you will work with us according to your love and teach us your gospel. We ask for discernment that we may apply your law. Evil is in our society and we know it is time for you to act, O Lord. Your law is being broken. We love your commands more than anything, more than gold. We consider all your precepts to be right and true, and we hate every wrong path. 
Guide us in Christ's name. Amen. This is the second part of a sermon on Philippians 4.8. We last spoke of the importance of the thought life and how it needs to be controlled. Living the Christian life is not easy and nowhere in the Bible does it promise it will be. The Bible declares all men sinners. It says everyone's personality has been invaded by sinful thoughts and ideas that without God's grace working in their lives, they are hopelessly lost and doomed to a godless eternity in hell. The Christian life is a constant fight. It's a terrible battle, but by the grace of God, it is not impossible. God has given you everything you need, everything, to carry out his commands. And when you fail, he gives you what you need to get up and try again. Too many times you allow yourself to get into a pattern of negative thinking. You start off with a cloud of unbelief around you. Christians fail to overcome this because they fail to take the remedy God so graciously provides. My friends, the way, the way to cure unbelief is to study God's word. Too many people believe Christianity is simply going to church a couple of times a year and having your name on a roll. If you believe the Bible, if you believe the Bible is infallible and inerrant, this is the word of God, that Jesus Christ came down from heaven and took on flesh and blood and died on Calvary's cross. If you believe that he was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, that he is coming back to take those who are his to heaven then you cannot, you cannot afford to ignore his word. For everything you say you believe is found in this book. But there is much more found here. All that you need to know about living this life is herein provided in this one book. All that is required of you in this process of salvation is to hear and to be learning. So, where else could you go to discover the greatest secrets of the universe than to the Bible? How many hours, how many minutes, or should I say, how many seconds do you read the Bible today? Dear ones, we're talking about the heart of your life, your thought life. Would your mind be filled with the unimportant matters of this world, or will you revel in the beautiful wisdom of the great comfort of God? Paul's plea as a living pastor, as a loving pastor, is that you will put the right things in your mind. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, open your mind to these things. As we continue with verse 8, first, we will see the dangers to your thought life. Second, we will study the total commitment required to Christianity in your thought life. Third, we will observe the spiritual food Paul lays out for your thought life. There are two real dangers to the Christian's thought life. The first is the world around you. The other is much more difficult to deal with. It's the attitude of your own heart toward life. 
The world is constantly throwing things at you to try and detract you from your Lord and his commission. Your heart is in a constant fight with the flesh and its desire to please itself. You must be awake. You must be ready to fight both. Paul was well aware of the struggles men face in this world. He came to the Philippians to try and help them face these struggles and overcome the wickedness that surrounded them. As he approaches the conclusion of this letter, he comes to the heart of what they must do. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The only way, the only way you can fight the world and the flesh is to get your mind focused on God and his truth. If anyone knew the power of the world, it would have been Paul. He traveled over the whole of the Roman Empire. He saw the seductive religions of the day. He saw the cruelty of the people. Paul knew and understood the spirit of the age. The world has in many ways changed a lot since Paul's day. But there is one thing, one thing that has not changed at all. It's the caretakers of this world, men. Men are the same today as they were in Paul's day. That means our day in regards to the lives of men is the same as the days of Philippi. These Philippians lived in a day when murder was a way of life. They sold tickets to murderous events. Homosexuality was an accepted lifestyle. Homo uh, prostitution was a part of a religion. Fidelity was unknown. Abortion was a way of life. Infanticide, infanticide was used as a means to control the unwanted. The controlling thought of the day was that man was supreme. The prevailing attitude among most men was they had to fulfill their natural urges and desires at the expense of anything or anyone. The only point of reference a man had was himself. Do you see any difference in this in the society we live in today? What is the cry of the abortionist? It's a woman's right. We hear the same thing from so many groups. It's my right. I must have my right to marry whomever I want, regardless of their sex. I must have my right to die. I must be allowed to kill my aging parents if that's what's best for me. There are calls even today for the same right over children. I must have my right to whatever drug I choose to use for my recreation. I must have the right to use your money if it can get me what I want. We see so many living in our society today without any moral compass. They make jokes and belittle those who would call them to account for their behavior. You can see it in our justice system. Men are being set free who have committed serious crimes because the fault is laid on society instead of on them. What our society must have if it is to overcome this man-centered attitude is a change in their thought life. This society has come to the point it is so self-centered till they cannot tolerate anyone telling them they are wrong. They bull ahead, falling into every trap imaginable, and they suffer the consequences and repercussions of their behavior. They become filled with bitterness 
The tragedy, the tragedy in all of this is they never learn from their mistakes. They continue to pile up error on top of error. They suffer through untold personal tragedies, broken homes, insecurity, loss of health, liberty, and life. The cost is high for ignoring the moral standard of God, but they never learn. As a Christian, you have a sound objective standard which does not change simply because society decides to try something different. Your standard does not change because your God does not change. He is the creator, the Holy One, and my friends, all men are answerable to him whether they believe it or not. God gave this world his word. And as a Christian, you must learn from it his commands and live your life by those commands. Paul was also well aware of the problems with the hearts of men. He knew men's hearts were evil. In Jeremiah 17, 9, you're told, the heart is deceitful above all things. The worst enemy you have comes from inside your own chest. Your first thoughts are always about yourself. Your second thoughts are about how you can have what you want. So how in the world can you carry out the requirements of this life and still keep your thoughts on God? As you read through Scripture, it tells you this is an impossible task for sinful man. Well, I can assure you, it is an impossible task for you on your own. God saved his people from the broad road to hell by his grace. He provides the fortress Christ Jesus for your safety. All any man need do is look to Jesus Christ and recognize his total sinfulness. I didn't come out right. All any man need to do is look at himself and recognize his total sinfulness and his absolute need of divine help to overcome his wicked heart. For the man who does this and calls out to Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he will be given the grace to live his life following God's word. This and this alone is the hope of mankind. All right? You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've believed in the hope he promises. How are you now going to deal with the enemy within? Scripture tells you to meditate on God's word day and night. You're to use his word to renew your mind in Christ Jesus. It's so easy to allow your thoughts to become self-centered, to become full of agitation and worry, to be overwhelmed with self-pity and engulfed in the unimportant. But, dear ones, the Bible says the cure to all of this is to keep your mind on, king, on the kingdom of God. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. To stay fixed on the glory revealed through the word. To ever focus on the Savior of your soul. To remember the creator of your life. To know the one who sustains this world. To let all of these things help you to re remain concerned about the needs of others. The only way to do this is to daily be in the study of God's Word. For it is here that you can learn 
about whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, admirable, and anything else that goes with this list. In Christianity, every area of your life is to be involved. As a Christian, every activity in your life is to be brought into line with the principles from Scripture. Why is this? God is the creator of this world in which you live. He is the one who made you and the universe and everything in it. Everything is his handiwork. Therefore, you should see this world as an expression of him. You must see it as he sees it. Each and every part of this creation is to be seen as a gift from God and must be treated as such. I ask you, how are you doing this in your own life? Are you handling it? You must understand. You are answerable to God for what you do with these gifts. This would include your mind. I trust this helps you to see how important it is to control your thought life. You must know that on the last day, on that great day of judgment, every man will be called to give an account of his stewardship of these gifts. It is sin to not have used these gifts to perfection. Therefore, everyone will stand condemned, judged by their thoughts, words, and deeds. Sin has affected every area of life, and man without grace from God is in serious trouble. That grace, that grace that you so desperately need, has been given. It comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can begin to think on those things that are excellent and praiseworthy when you have a solid commitment to Jesus Christ as the one sent from heaven. Sent to live for you the perfect life you could never live and to die the atoning death in your place. Jesus Christ and Jesus alone provides to his people the deliverance they need from this world and the heart of stone that plagues them. It's through Jesus and his wonderful gospel that you are provided the enabling power to begin to live your life in the way scripture teaches. What this enabling power does is molds you. It molds you more and more into Christ's image. It is this alone that allows you to live your life in this world as one of God's children. This is a humbling process. There's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting. You're living by his grace and by his grace alone. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to relate more of your mind to the Lord's work. You no longer face life with an attitude of defeat. Despair need not overwhelm you. For the Holy Spirit is resident in your heart. You're in the fortress of Jesus Christ. And the peace of God stands guard over your every thought. You're called upon to take up an attitude that is totally opposite of the world's attitude. You're to live for your God and for others. The world lives only for self. It's extremely important that you realize what you're up against. It is two opposite positions 
Paul knew this. If you're to survive and persevere, you must know it also. If you fail in your awareness of these enemies, you will be overcome by the attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul has shown the importance of the thought life. We have looked at some of the possibilities and difficulties of it. We've also discussed the responsibilities that go with it. You have seen that God is the creator. Therefore, there's no area of thought that should not bring glory to him. You must apply your mind to the glorification of your God And that should be done in every area of life. Science, art, music, carpentry, and just general labor. Your duty is to do whatever you do to the glory of God. And you are to have a God-glorifying thought life as you do it. God knows how hard this is for you. So, he provides the spiritual food you need for a proper life or proper thought life. That spiritual food is found in his word. He gives these things you need to think of. Paul said, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. God gave you a moral standard in his word. This is what is to govern your thought life. With this standard, and you, and, and you use your critical thinking skills then to be selective about what you think of. That's your responsibility. You can't shirk that. You allow God through his word and the Holy Spirit to guide you in what you choose to let into your mind. Paul lays out those things that are acceptable for your thought life in verse 8. This is a list of the kinds of things that should dominate your thought life. Now, it's not exhaustive. There's more than that. He's just giving you examples. He begins with whatever things are true. The Greek word for true is aletheis. It means that which is real, genuine, that which is true in any matter under consideration. This is the opposite of whatever is false or fictitious. In Star Wars movies... There was a scene in which Luke confronted Obi-Wan with some information he had given Luke. What Obi-Wan said was untrue, but he tried to justify it by saying from a certain point of view it was true. This is relativism, and it is never true. You cannot manipulate the facts to suit your own point of view. Facts are what they are. As a believer, you must think on the vital things of life. You must think on the true things. You're to think on God's truth, on such things as eternity, the cross, the resurrection, the second coming, judgment, and man's relationship to Christ. You get your information on these things from God's word, and only from God's word. You must understand, as Christians, you're not only to be true in what you think about God, but also about one another. You must be true in your thoughts, words, and deeds, as well as in your relationships with each other. To have a holy life, you have to have a truthful life. Paul declares in Romans 3, 4, that God is true. 
If you want to be like God, you must be true also. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 14, believers have the belt of truth wrapped around them. If you're so wrapped with truth, you must reject that which is false, that which is untrue. The next thing he looks at is whatever things are noble. The word noble in the Greek is semnos. It can be rendered noble, honorable, honest, or grave. It gives the idea you must think on things that are highly respectable, things that are serious, things that are worthy of regard. This would bring you to show in your life integrity, gravity, and sound speech. You do this so no one, no one can find cause to censure you. So your enemy would be put to shame and have nothing evil to slander you with. This also means that as a Christian, you are to esteem and respect the laws and customs of the society in which you live unless those laws or customs violate God's law. You develop this type of attitude when you commit yourself to thinking on noble things. He also calls you to think on whatever things are just. Here the Greek word for just or right is dikios. This means the highest ideal of what is right between men. It is understood to be part of the standard which satisfies God and is worthy of his righteousness. This is the type of right you are transformed into through the sanctification process. You are molded into a just and fair-minded person. As a believer, you're to be just in all of your dealings. Our nation was founded on the Judeo-Christian work ethic. What's that? That a man should give a good day's pay, good day's work for a good day's pay. Where a business prices its merchandise to give a reasonable profit. I'm afraid we've lost a lot of that over the years. Work ethic today seems to be, how much can I get for the least amount of effort? The idea of how much will the market stand in pricing? The principle behind whatever things are just is the summation of the law Christ gave when he said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The principle behind this is that you consider your neighbor, you consider his well-being as well as your own. He turns neck to whatever things are pure. The Greek word hagnos, it means pure and sincerely. This is perhaps the hardest area to work in. Think on those things that are undefiled, chaste in thought and deed. This world you live in is filled with the lust of the flesh. Television, movies, books, magazines, advertisements, all of all kinds appeal to the lowest instincts of men. Sex is the great selling tool of today. You must, as a believer, remember God has called you to a higher standard in your sexual lives. A standard that calls you to irreproachable purity. The question before you this morning is how do you live up to this standard in such an openly decadent society? Look at Hollywood how they live their lives. They have no standard in their personal conduct. They make all kinds of excuses for what they do and justify themselves in every illicit affair. Do you make excuses? 
I know we all do. Some Christian parents are accepting the improper sexual relationships of their children and justifying them. You must not tolerate sin. You must not show a permissive attitude. It's a sin to accept or justify what God forbids. It is imperative that you as a Christian see the richness of following God's standard. You must accept the purity God demands both in thought, word, and deed. He also lays before you as food for your spiritual life whatever things are lovely. The word lovely in the Greek is prosphiles. It can mean lovely, friendly toward others, or acceptable. The concept is you think of those things that will make you more gracious. You are to have an attitude of mind toward others that's pleasing to them. You're to put the needs of others ahead of your own needs. This is really where the rubber begins to meet the road in your Christian conduct. How can you, how can you as a believer, be sullen, irritable, bad-tempered, fault-finding, negative, impatient, and insensitive to other people and think that glorifies God? Now I know there's not a single person, myself included, who are not susceptible to all of these weaknesses. What Paul wants you to understand is that there is no way as a Christian you can try to justify continuing in these sinful practices. You must be working actively to change your attitude. You must be striving to get rid of all these negative things and replace them with positive, with lovely things. He also wants you to know that the promise of grace is not just for salvation. Grace saves us. But that's not all it does. It also sanctifies us. It's for our sanctification. You don't have to fight this fight by yourself. With the help of God and by his grace, you can change those old sinful, self-justifying ways. You can become more sensitive and lovely in your conduct with others. And you must if you truly belong to Jesus Christ. He ends with whatever things are of good report. The Greek here means that which is truly good or admirable. These, this means you should speak kind. You should speak good words about others. This is where courtesy, respect, and kindness kind of all come together. When you speak of others, your heart is on display. Do you speak negative words or positive words about others? What's in your heart toward your fellow man? The Christian should be the kindest, most gracious person in his speech about others. This becomes a great tool in your witnessing. When you speak words that are kind about your friends and your enemies, people begin to want to know how it is you can be so kind. Paul adds to this list, he says, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, he didn't mean you were to take this list as exhaustive of Christian virtues. He adds this so you know to think on nothing that is contrary to the right spiritual food God gives in his word. What is the essence of this right spiritual food? 
if it brings glory, if it brings honor to Jesus Christ, then it is right spiritual food. Let nothing hang around in your mind that does not glorify Jesus Christ. If you take and purge from your mind all that that is negative, it will not be coming out of your mouth. Jesus told his disciple, what defiles a man is not what he eats, but what comes out of his heart. If you eat good spiritual food, then your conversation will be more and more holy every day. And your reputation will grow as a godly person. In conclusion, let me say, if you want to live this life, as Paul says, there's but one way you can do it. You must immerse yourself in the Word of God. You must study it and practice its principles every day. You have to begin at the core of who you are. That place where your thoughts begin, your heart. You must acknowledge yourself to be a sinner, unworthy of God's grace. You must see Jesus Christ as God's gift given to unworthy sinners. You must cry out to him from a broken and contrite heart. If you will, he will hear and he will receive you. He will cleanse you and forgive you your sins. He will empower you by his Holy Spirit to be able to change your thought life and start living your life as a witness for him. Let us pray. Our Father, we worship and love you. We come because we know you have changed our hearts. You have made us to grow in love with goodness, purity, justice, truth, and holiness. And we can now understand why the cherubim and seraphim continually cry, Holy, Holy Lord God of hosts. Father, we know we have been washed and that Jesus bore away our sin. We cry out in praise for this wonderful salvation. We thank you for our deliverance from temptations. Lord, please. Purify us in hand, head, and heart. Refine us like gold. May we be made to love you, O Lord, and may we love your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.